This is Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. The topic for today's episode is powering incremental improvements with insights. Here to speak with me is Keith Hagen, who is the VP Digital Marketing at SelectHub, a technology selection management solution that eliminates the messy, error-prone business of IT and software requirements compilation, vendor evaluation, and sourcing by centralizing all activities on an easy-to-use intelligent platform. Keith is a growth marketer with 18 years of experience driving online growth through strategy, demand, engagement, acquisition, conversion, and customer loyalty. Keith, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Stefan. That's you know, great to be here. <laughs> I'm happy to have you too. Well, listen, Keith, before we start to talk about today's topic, I'd love to find out more about you. Um, tell our listeners on how you got started with your career. In particular, how did you end up uh, with digital marketing? Sure. Okay. So um, let's see. I uh, did my you know, university at Carleton University in Ottawa, Ontario, uh, Canada, and I, uh, in psychology, sociology, uh, found that left me without, you know, any real skills to in the in the job force, of course. And um, in a typical Canadian fashion, I did my uh, kind of a postgraduate program uh, to learn some skills. And from there, that led me into programming, which quickly, uh, you know, led me uh, to a visa to come to the U.S., and I worked as a programmer uh, full time for about five years. And at that point, the internet was so new that when a job opening, I was working at a place called uh, Gates Corporation, previously known as the Gates Rubber Company. And at that time, it was the largest company headquartered in Colorado. And I was working there. A job opening came up for basically running digital marketing at the company. And because I was really the kind of the lead internet uh, developer for the company at the time, they asked me to move over to the business side and run all things digital marketing. And so, you know, there I was at a uh, Fortune 500 size company. They, of course, you know, were headquartered outside the US uh, in the UK at the time. But uh, there I was running this, you know, running all things uh, internet related at, uh, at a Fortune 500 company. And I was really just by myself. We had some outsour- outsourced agency resources, but, you know, might have accumulated to like one and a half people helping me. And, um, I did everything. And, uh, you know, a few years into that position, got recognized by B2B magazine, uh, one of the Crane publications as having the one, one of the top 10 B2B websites, which was Quite great because we were being compared to all these companies that were 10, 20 people. And here we were less than three uh, uh, being recognized for essentially, you know, bringing this, this huge uh, group of companies online at a, you know, that pivotal time back in the, uh, you know, uh, early 2000s. So, yeah. Well, interesting. Now, with, with a small workforce, you must have done something 
I don't know, different, something special in order to achieve that recognition. What was it that, that allowed you to kind of achieve results with a small team for which other companies needed many more people? You know, I think it was that we built systems. And this was before there was a CMS. Um, so we built our own. We also built our own email marketing automation tool. And uh, I have to shout out uh, 90 Octane, who's uh, now a sizable agency in the Denver area. It was, it was just three of them helping us at that point. And it was really just building systems that we could leverage and also getting the, getting the customer insights. We were blessed with a, a large brand and lots of people were coming to the website. But I think by really getting the insights as to what our audience wanted really helped us narrow down what we needed to do. So I'll give you an example. D uh, drive design engineers. So, you know, design engineers, they're just trying to make stuff and they, they need, they need AutoCAD drawings. And so, you know, getting the insight that that's what they're looking for. You know, we put the uh, design drawings, the AutoCADs up on the website before anyone else did. What that did is it allowed, it allowed all these, all these design engineers to, you know, create what they were creating with our parts, which essentially baked uh, the Gates parts into all of these new applications like the uh, Harley-Davidson, um, you know, drive chain, uh, that the rubber, the rubber belt system that they used uh, or sailboats or uh, electric bicycles or, you know, bicycles, whatever it was, all these new applications found it easier to work with Gates than it did with any other company. And that, that changed the dynamic at a time when, Nobody was really expecting any leads to come in line, you know, come, come in from online. Mm. Um, you know, within a few years, we've, after we, get, you know, finally got a, a proper CMS system in, uh, we found out, you know, 96% of the leads were coming from on, were, were originating from online. And um, quite a pivotal time back then, but that's, it was really the insights, kind of insights driven you know, is what we're benefiting from was really knowing our customers. And we would, you know, I would, that's back in the day where if I saw somebody fill out a form, I would call them and say, you know, what are you looking for? What can I help you find on the website? Mm -hmm. um, things like navigation was brand new back then. You know, nobody knew whether a left nav was going to be better than a, you know, front nav. So we were figuring all this stuff out. And, uh, but it, it was really building systems and being in, in insights driven. Yeah. Well, obviously today's, today's topic is powering incremental improvements with insights. And you just started to talk about insights. Now, how do you drive actually continuous incremental improvements? You know, the, the first thing is remembering that that's what you have to do. Uh, there's been for a long time, a redesigned culture in the U.S., especially pertaining to websites, I would say from the time that everybody started building websites, they were just rebuilding websites. And there's some periods where redesign was necessary when we all moved over to responsive websites, for instance, that was a good time to do a redesign. But outside of that, there, you know, it's really been a redesign culture and it's the websites for the longest time were being driven 
more by design resources than they were business resources. And it took a while for the business acumen to catch up to online and for there to be people like myself who were results business focused uh, online and could see through the smoke and mirrors of design or SEO or social or whatever new fad cropped up. Some, you know, somebody who could understand how to, uh, you know, what it meant, how to leverage it, what did or did not need to be done. And that's the long and, you know, that's kind of the long and short of it. Just from the point where I started working on the websites that I owned and with Gates Corporation um, in the early days, I inherited about seven sites and it was impossible with the resources to uh, redesign anything. And we really didn't have the budget. The, the business didn't believe in the internet. The executives at the time thought that it was just necessary to have a presence. They didn't really see its value uh, at first, you know, until that value was proven. So there is no money for a redesign and everything had to be incremental. And that's really where I, you know, I started the, the methodology. And, and luckily being at a manufacturing and, you know, I, I have to hand it to the Gates Corporation. They train their people. They they educate them. And I was, you know, the beneficiary of courses and Six Sigma and and uh, lean manufacturing. And I got to take those principles and apply them to what I was doing online uh, to the point where I was even participating in voluntary Six Sigma projects uh, for online, even though I was really the only one who understood the internet at the time at the company. And um, I didn't really have any checks or balances or mentors, but I was able to follow through these uh, these Lean Sigma methodologies and improve the site. And yeah. so I think that, that was really kind of the core for me. I, I, I couldn't probably agree more with you as it, <laughs> as it relates to website improvements being more driven by design. I remember, I used to have a client back in London when I, when I lived in London. It's a, it's a big luxury company. And, you know, they, they wanted to stand out and they built a website that was heavily video focused. Now, as you can imagine, that created a lot of problems at the end of the day. Um, content wasn't readable. Site was slow. It was confusing for, for, for customers that wanted to buy their products. It looked beautiful. But from a usability perspective and all the other elements that actually make a business impact, it was just terrible. You know, yeah. so they had to do another another run at redoing the new site in order to make it work for what they wanted the website to do. Now, you obviously were talking about um, website redesigns. Where where do you take information from to make decisions on what elements of a website to improve? Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about yeah. you know making incremental improvements, not kind of throwing everything overboard and starting from scratch again. So where do you get that information from and what type of information are you looking for? Yeah, and the, the, the place you get the information from is really your customers. And you have to get as close to them as you can. And how you do it doesn't matter. That, that I think that was the biggest epiphany for me early on where I was you know, in charge of this large initiative without many resources. And I had to get, get questions answered. Now, I, I did have some online, I guess you could call them mentors. I, I didn't get to spend much time with them. But, you know, uh, Amy Africa, for instance, was a big influence of mine back then. I realized that 
she was on the speaker circuit talking about conversion optimization before it even had a name. And like I was doing with all types of marketing back then, you know, she was basically educating for free people on uh, conversion optimization, email, advertising online, all the things that I was doing with Gates, uh, she was out there talking about. And I, I got to, you know, through through people like her and uh, UX experts, all the, all the notable names from, from back in the early 2000s, you know, through them, I, I got to have read read about people having similar experiences and the big takeaway was you can just call people on the phone ask them how was your website experience and in the early days we were asking were you able to find what you were looking for you know today hopefully that's not as much of a question i can tell you it's for sure still a question but hopefully it's not as much the focus anymore because back then people were just you know really new to the internet but it, you can you can still call your customers. You can um, still pop up on the chat. I remember when Live Person first came out, and when I was looking at the service people at one of the companies I consulted for, and I, I saw that they were just popping up and asking people questions. And I'm like, well, ask them if they can find stuff. Ask them if ask them if you know. And I, I put up this battery of questions. And gave them a spreadsheet, and I had all these uh, customer service people uh, uh, peppering these questions and getting these answers that gave us a beautiful matrix as to the user experience. At, for that particular site, it was about finding auto parts. So you can, you know, using chat, one of my go-to favorites has always been user testing. And I was one of the first users of usertesting.com, and that was right from the beginning a phenomenal resource, and it still is. The uh, user testing, if you create a good scenario and you find the right audience, often recruiting you know your own site users. And again, you can use chat for this, try to get them into uh, user testing. It, you get amazing insights just by watching people try to achieve something that you think should be elementary. And it's humbling. It's probably, this line of work is probably the most humbling thing you could possibly do when you put so much effort into launching a site or making a change or putting together a homepage and realizing that it just doesn't work well enough. But you're never too far. You know, it's, you know, we can talk about A-B testing, which is uh, a great way to, to get insights. But more importantly, it's a great way to test the ideas you get from those insights. And if you get a good insight, it's going to compel you to test. And you really shouldn't test anything that you're not compelled to. Yeah. So how important are information from systems like Hotjar, Crazy Egg, or the data points that you collect for your web analytics system? How do you, how do you use those information? Yeah, I, I, I think Hotjar is great. I think it still has a ways to go. I love Clicktail. And if you put the time and energy into configuring it right, it's it, it's a it's a beautiful thing. But whether it be Hotjar or Clicktail or some other uh, screen recording system, screen recordings are only good as the context that you're watching the recording in. Is it a new visitor? Is it a return visitor? What did they look at before? What did they look at now? 
you, you need to understand the full picture. You can't just watch a screen recording, recording in isolation and, and know anything. It's useless. It's garbage. You really need to have the context of what is that user trying to achieve. And so, for example, if you're going to do screen recordings, you really need to design your site in such a way that you can identify people simply by navigating. If you can call out an audience from a navigation point, let's say your homepage calls out a particular audience. Let's say it's uh, you're an auto parts seller and you call out mechanics. You know, if you say, you know, mechanics start here for your part search. From that point on, you've got the context. Uh, you know that it's a mechanic. You know they're looking for parts. That's where screen recording becomes useful. Because now you've you've identified people right from the landing page that they that they arrived at all the way through uh, through cart and checkout. That's where screen recordings are are important. But if you don't design your site in such a way where you can easily you know identify people, screen recordings definitely is going to have its challenges. I'll, I'll give you an example of uh, screen recording success. Back when I had my consultancy uh, conversion IQ. I took a vacation and on that vacation, I finally had the time to uh, go through screen recordings of my, of my largest client, which was a national uh, pest control company. And, you know, I watched probably 30 hours of screen recordings that week and I, I was able to do an isolation. I took good notes and I got to identify patterns. And this is something that I'd done before, but it's so time consuming. And this is really important to talk about. It's your insights, you know, you want them to be good, you want them to be fast, and you want them to be good cheap. Well, screen recordings are good and they're cheap, but they are not fast. So, you know, after 30 hours of watching hundreds of screen recordings, I realized that people who were looking at bed bug infestations, they always followed the same pattern. First, they wanted to identify what it was. They wanted to identify it as a bed bug. Second thing they wanted to figure out was how did they get it? The third thing they wanted to do was figure out how serious it was. And only after that would they actually try to remedy it with any of the calls to action on the site. Now, if you took, took a look at any pest control company any website, they always help you identify what it is, and then they offered a solution. At no point did any, did any site help people uh, figure out how they got it and how serious it was. And once once those two aspects were integrated into the site, the conversion rate went went through the roof. Number of people working in the call center were were tripled over the years simply because of this the shift in understanding that came from screen recordings. So screen recordings are definitely powerful, but you'll get the insights. They'll be good and it'll be cheap, but they won't be fast yeah. uh, unless, unless you design your site upfront better. So, yeah. Now then, you know, adding on to what you just said, what are the best insights, you know, given, you know, you have limited time, limited resources, and money, can you call out a few, or, or that that can people can do, companies can do that, um, that can provide a lot of insights, but don't cost that much, don't take that much time, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the you know for, first one is user testing. You know, there's a lot of a lot of vendors out there. I'm, I'm not partial to any one of them, 
you know, try my UI or, or usertesting.com are, are good resources. That's going to be the place to start. I, I think everybody should do that just to orient themselves, get five user tests and give people their, you know, your uh, primary use case and just watch people use your site. That alone is going to spark maybe even a redesign, uh, but it, it's probably going to spark a, a lot. After that, you know, I'm a big fan of, of, uh, using chat and and recruiting people to to talk to. And when you actually talk to your customers, it, it gives it a different a different realm. And it's it's gutsy. You have to you have to be you know willing to give something away. You know, something say, hey, for 50% off your purchase today, would you be willing to walk through the site with somebody? And you know, as soon as they say yes, you know, Zoom meeting goes out to them and you guys get on a Zoom call, they share their screen and, um, you know, you're shopping with somebody. Those, those are the, in my experience, the two best ways. It, when it comes to insights, you can also use, you know, surveys, pop-up surveys, polls. They need to be really targeted. Uh, I find them far, far better than any kind of long-form survey, but if you, uh, you know, Hotjar, of course, has those polls. Qualaroo will give you a little bit more um, dexterity, you might say, with those polls. But your polls are going to, you know, give you a, a lot of context. And I love using audience polls or buying cycle polls just to, just to help me understand at what stage the people using a page are for. Let's say it's a key navigation page that helps you sort people through various categories or products. Um, knowing what stage the people who use that page are on is priceless. You know, are, are they um, in the research phase? Are they in the consideration phase? Do they expect to purchase within 24 hours or even purchase, you know, within the hour? That, those are the type of questions you can pull people on and, and get that context that you're missing about that page. Because until you know what phase people are at, you know, you won't understand. Uh, likewise, in terms of mindset, you can use those polls to figure out, you know, what the user mindset is. Are they, again, are they going to make a quick decision? Are they more focused on the best solution versus being more thorough and analytical and, and you know, where they're going to do copious amounts of research? And so, when it comes to mindset and buying cycle and audience type, uh, you know, just who the audience is, if you've got more than one on your site, that's where pop-up polls are awesome. And, and that will add a lot of insight into your heat maps, into your screen recordings, into your Google Analytics or other analytics that you're using. And it'll also make for better user tests. Understanding the mindset the buying cycle and the audience on any given page, any starting point, that's where your insights are going to start. So. Yeah. Well, now that you have collected a lot of insights, how do you prioritize them? How do you prioritize the insights in regards to what to take actions on first? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, the action you should probably take from your insights is testing, AB testing. I've personally done over tested ran I've run over 4000 ab tests now and it's uh I'm not bragging it's it's a dubious honor uh, of running so many tests but that should be your action is running a test and you should be from your insight 
you should um, prioritize, you know, in three basic ways. One, what's the potential? Two, what is the viability of the test? Can it be tested and can it be implemented by engineering or your developer group? And then third, is it aligned with with executive uh, goals? So those are the three things you want to look at. There's a great free tool out there uh, called Illuminate from Brooks Bell Agency. Uh, that's another CRO agency that uh, a competitor to, to to the one that I used to have. And Illuminate is a a tool that allows you to gather insights, uh, prioritize them, uh, basically on those three things, I think, and then and then kind of prioritize and track your tests. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for, you know, what's going to have the biggest impact, what can and what can actually be done? What's the difficulty of it? And, uh, you know, I would score it in, in such a way where uh, you give the impact a score of one to five. You give the uh, the ability to be done a one to five. And you give the importance to the executive uh, group a one to five. And then you take the impact, you give it a multiplier of, say, five. The ability to, to, to do the, the work, give that a multiplier of three and then uh, whether or not it, it's it's core to the objectives of the executives gives that a multiplier of two, and you'll come out with a score. And with that, you'll be able to score every initiative that you have. So now that you kind of identified which insights to take action on and then how to prioritize them, once you launch them, how do you measure the improvements? How do you measure which improvements have made the biggest impact and, and which improvements you potentially want to continue to pursue to to even find out greater value? Yeah, great question. Like I said, you really want to, your insights to be tested. You know, I, I look at things that I've tested and when you get an insight, it's probably going to go well. Your test is probably going to win. If you're driving tests, A-B tests, multivariate tests on insights, your win rate's going to be 80%, 85%, 90% even. The problem is you don't know what that 20, 10 to 20 percent of losers are going to look like, and you don't know what the impact is going to be. It's very easy to think that you've got a great winner, and, and you you maybe well do. Uh, recently, I, I had a, a, an excellent winner on a test. It did exactly what I thought it would do. However, it also cannibalized other goals, and those goals were something that were just more profitable and had a higher uh, success rate, you know, through the full funnel with the SDRs. So just because you have a winner doesn't mean that it doesn't come at a cost. And you want to test everything. You want to understand that every dynamic. And testing isn't something that is, you know, you wouldn't rush. I think the biggest problem with testing is that people don't uh, run a test long enough. They believe the numbers without putting uh, a proper methodology around the testing. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an instance. When you start a test, who did that affect? Because any time that you change the website uh, on a returning visitor, they're going to notice and there's going to be an impact. Uh, let's say you have a homepage and you had a call to action and you, you try a new location. Well, for some people who come back, if that call to action suddenly moved, they're going to be confused. It's going to add friction. It's going to cost you sales. So when you start a test, you have to be very careful to make sure that you only start the test for uh, new visitors 
returning visitors shouldn't see it or else you're going to pollute the results of your test. You also have to know the type of site you are. If you're starting a test on Sunday and you know your audience starts shopping on Saturday, you're probably going to miss, you know, and then you run a test to, through Friday, you're going to miss the, you know, your main your main people who who basically won't have gone through your test. So now you're you're not actually testing them, you know, the, let, let's say you sell uh, children's bicycles, you know, most of that traffic's going to hit on Saturday, Sunday during the weekend. If you start your test on Sunday night, um, you're going to miss most of that audience. And you're only going to get the kind of parents who are shopping for their kids during the weekday, not during the weekend. And so that's, that's also important. And when you, when you stop a test, you also, if you stop a cold turkey, you're not going to know how people in the test finished. And often buying cycles go on for weeks. And if you don't let a test run out, and so you can gather all those people, you're not going to see the results, the returning visitor results in your test. And that I've seen that totally change the test results. So the problem with testing is that people don't follow the proper methodology. And I feel really passionate about this. I, I wrote a book. Uh, about it. It's up on Amazon. If you, if you uh, search my name on Amazon and I, I don't profit from that book at all. It's, it's uh, sold with my company when I sold my company, but, but it explains the whole methodology. And I, I think the book's like 99 cents. I hope it's of use to people, but you really testing is something where when people test and then they implement they don't see the changes that they test. The test might promise them a 20% conversion rate increase, and then they implement it and they don't see any increase at all. Well, that's simply because the test wasn't run properly and it wasn't reported out on properly. And so you want to test everything significant on your site, but you want to test properly. Keith, thank you so much for uh, sharing some great information here uh, with me and the audience. Um, if people want to find out more about you and Select Hub, how can they get in touch? So LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach out to me. My email is keith.hagen at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like the Performance Delivered podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at Symphonic HQ. Thanks again, and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.